Everybody say, get behind me, Satan. What a way to start out a message. Get behind me, Satan. There's a reason for that. I'm going to start this message series called Battle Royale. And um, a couple days ago in prayer, I really um, was um, taken back by the intensity of um, spiritual warfare. Now, when I say spiritual warfare, I'm going to clarify some things about that in just a moment. But, um, it, you know, typically when I'm in prayer, you're going to feel some sort of battle. You, 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 you notice that. And you, you'll notice how that um, there's some pressure sometimes. And, and you've got to figure out what, what's God saying and what's happening. But this was a little bit unusual. I felt a real struggle, not just with me praying that night, but a real struggle I felt over you, the church. We've had incredible encounters with God, and we've been seeing God the last three and a half, four months do some, I mean, just unreal things that we've testified to, had it backed up, and um, just healings and anointings. And I got a really terrible um, Pastor Nick uh, crunchy sound coming through the monitors. And if we could deal with that, because it's going to throw me off. Pastor, oh yeah, Pito, if you want to take a look at it. Um, and I can look around this room right now and see that I was right on target because I, I know we got Columbus Day coming up and everything, but usually this one, many people are, are not missing. The truth is, especially since we've been in revival, the truth is uh, there is something going on in the spirit that is trying to hinder what God wants and is doing, not only in this church, but worldwide. I mean, we're not saying we're anything special. We just got in the flow of what God happened to be doing, and we're so grateful to God for it. But, you know, if we do not learn to fight and to battle uh, war with what God gives us, we'll lose it. There's no doubt about it. But we're not losing this one. Someone say amen. We're not losing this one. I feel pretty good about it, to be honest with you. And my confidence comes from the Lord because when you spend time with him, there's never a chance of doubting what he's doing because you just got done being in his presence. So when opposites begin to happen, sometimes there's those seasons of contradictions that, you know, God gives you a promise and it doesn't look like it's happening. It's like it's contradicting. It's contrary to what you've been promised. That's usually a good indication that that thing that God promised is coming to pass because it's actually now in warfare. So how we handle it from here on out is going to be really important. So my assignment became real clear. Actually, I got real excited about it because I re recognized, okay, God, I knew this was going to happen. Sooner or later, we we're going to be in a place where, you know, God's people, it's not going to be as easy because, um, because the enemy is not going to let it happen. So I'm excited to make this announcement today that, yes, we are in a spiritual battle, but it's not one we're going to lose, and it's not one that we have to, to lose. Spiritual warfare is real, y'all. It is real. And when you begin to pray and seek God like you've never done before, yes, he comes to, it's an, it, he comes to try to rob you of that. It's real, spiritual warfare. And it will cloud your mind. It clouds up your judgment. It clouds up um, uh, your dreams. It clouds up just how you think. Um, as well as it begins to weary your soul. It makes your soul tired, your spirit tired, and your body tired. It's exhausting and discouraging to be in a battle, especially a spiritual one, and, and, and particularly when you do not know what's really going on. So I'm here to tell you, if you felt exhausted lately, had a hard time getting up this morning, had a hard time last week getting up, have a hard time getting in prayer, and you were so hot three weeks ago, and now it's like, oh my God. I'm here to tell you, you are in a spiritual warfare. It's beyond you. You've tapped into the spirit realm, and now the enemy goes, aha, I've got, he cannot stop. The devil cannot stop what he's going to, God's going to do in your life, but he can sure enough hinder you or hold it up. He can sure enough hinder you or hold it up. The objective of the battle waged against you is to get you to quit in your faith. What not only you're believing God for, faith is beyond just believing. Faith is action. It's the action steps you decided to take based on what you believe. So I'm not talking about what I believe that makes me feel good inside and I got a hope and I just know God's going to come through at some point. I'm talking about having all that, then mixing it with your steps moving forward, saying this is what we're going to do. This is how I'm going to react. And now then what he does is he comes, he comes after your faith because the Bible says the warfare is not flesh and blood. But the warfare, the Bible says, it's called the good fight of 
Faith, there you go. Good fight of faith. So what's he after? He's after what you're believing for that you decided to act upon, and now he says, nope, can't let you do that. So he pulls on everything in his playbook, everything he can. And by the way, this devil, he's an, he's an idiot. Come on, he's, you can't fight God and think you win and think you're smart. You're an idiot. But he's not stupid in the sense he knows what buttons, buttons to push with mankind. He's been around for 6,000 years. He knows what's in your lineage. He knows what's in your background. He knows what to do. And what he does is he gets you emotional. I'm preaching real good. How come that side of the church ain't shouting? Oh, I got to go over here. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Wait for me. Wait. I'm coming. I said, not supposed to get emotional. But we get in faith. And faith doesn't mean I get a goosebump, feel good, get butterflies in my stomach. Oh, I felt them. None of that. I love it when it happens. But every day I get up the same way, trusting God, believing that his word's going to come to pass, and I act upon that. Come on. So the devil's always trying to, trying to hinder or to stop what God's about to do. Years ago, my wife and I pastored two churches, one in Beloit, one here. For 10 years, we did that, and we had a 1.30 service uh, here in the afternoon. So we had our two services in the morning in Beloit, and then we'd fly up here, you know, basically, I mean, drive, and uh, we'd, we'd, we'd hit here about 1.20, something like that, 1.25, and then we'd have our church service at 1.30, and we did that for years, and then we had a Wednesday night service there and a Thursday night service here and all the other things that go with running two churches. And... Um, and we had a prophet by the name of Glenn Miller come in. Uh, now, he's my dear friend. I still love him very much. He'll be back. And, and, um, and I, I, I just I think the world of him. And he's on our presbytery and all that. And um, <clears throat> this was years ago. And, man, we had a move of God. So typically I'd have him on a Sunday morning there. Then I'd come here. We'd fly over here on Sunday afternoon have him here. And then we'd do a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday there. And then a Thursday and Friday here, sometimes Saturdays. So um, that's how we did it. Well, the first time we had him was a full week. So we did there and here for full seven days. And the power of God, I mean, he was prophesying and spirit of God moving people, getting filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized. And I mean, just amazing events from the Lord. Powerful, powerful things. And, um, and so it was going so well. It was Sunday after, after the second service in Beloit. I, I leaned over to him. I whispered in his ear and said, hey, man. Uh, what would you think about staying for another week? Just so we can make that announcement right here. He said, let's do it. Let's do it. So we made the announcement. We're going to have a Monday night meeting there and Tuesday and Wednesday. And then we're going to go to church here at 1.30 and make the announcement for another uh, couple of days up here as well. So um, people got excited. They were pumped up and, uh, as they were. And um, he called his wife, told him, hey, I'm staying next extra week. I don't think she was too happy, but he, he did it anyways and stayed. So Monday night comes. We're prayed up. We're ready to go. Monday night comes. And we pulled about half the crowd that we were pulling on those evening services. We thought, wow, that's, they were so excited. What happened here? And so, and I'm telling you, I'm in the front row, and it was like there was a wet blanket. Like something, like, something was like a wet blanket thrown over the entire service. I mean, it's just like nothing was gelling together. We couldn't get it going. It just felt like the atmosphere was completely wrong, and I'm sit, sitting on the front row thinking, what in the world's going on? It's like we're doing the dance. Come on, somebody. You ever dance with somebody? You're doing the dance, but they, ain't, they don't know the steps. What happens? You're not doing the dance anymore. You're just moving around, stepping on each other's feet. It kind of felt like that kind of atmosphere. And I'm on the front row, and I'd just taken the church about a year into it in Beloit, and it's growing. It's exciting. We're starting to move on television, and all kinds of different things were happening. The church here was growing. We're getting prepared to, to, uh, to do more uh, renovations here, at, at plans to do renovations here at the church. And so a lot of stuff happening. It was really exciting. And God's just moving a big way. Well, I'm on the front row of the church, and all of a sudden, I hear in my ear, I hear these words, you're getting too big for your britches. And it was like the enemy just, just was deflating me, making me feel insecure, making me feel like I made the wrong decision. I probably shouldn't have had this extra week. Oh, my God. It's no, no one's going to show up, number one. Number two, it made me feel like everything we were doing was wrong. Have you ever had that feeling like everything you were doing is like maybe I'm not doing it the right way now and I don't know what's really happening? That's the enemy. That's the enemy robbing your joy, which steals your strength. I told this church, if you're going to make a decision, make a decision from a position of strength, not weakness. And what does the Bible says? The joy of the Lord is my strength. So I can't make decisions until I return back to joy. I've got to praise. I've got to worship. I've got to get a place where I get the joy of the Lord back in my soul. So I heard those words. I'm sitting right here. It's a, it's a big sanctuary like this, long. And so 
He's way over here. He, uh, Miller would preach back and forth like this. And all of a sudden, I hear those words. And all of a sudden, he's six foot six, y'all. So it's like four steps to get to me over here. Praise God. But he takes his finger and he turns back. He goes, Jeff Pruitt, like this. He point comes, he said, point to me. He points to my chest. He said, and the devil would tell you, you're getting too big for your britches. But hear the word of the Lord. And then begins to give me a, a word from God that's out of heaven that only God could know. And the spirit of God fell in that place and broke that darkness, that assignment. And we had an incredible encounter with God. Come on. It went from the worst meeting to the best meeting. That's the enemy. He's always trying to stop and hinder. And if he can get you to agree with him. If I would have said, yeah, man, I better slow this thing down. I'm not sure I'm making the right decision. But God came through. Now, he doesn't do that every time, but it was showing me once and for all, don't you ever believe the lie of the devil. The devil don't know how to tell the truth. He only tells a lie. Come on, somebody say amen to this. And I, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, it, it, I've had one encounter like this, I have another story I'll probably save for next week. But, I mean, incredible things. How the enemy is always trying to stop, but God will come through if you just won't give up your faith. The first real strength that you must possess in overcoming a spiritual battle is knowing who you are in Christ. I'm only going to give you two today. This one here, and then I'm going to give you another one in just a moment. Knowing who you are in Christ. If you do not know who you really are, then the enemy can lie and tell you things. And you'll just simply believe him because you know there's a limitation to you. But there's no limits on our God whatsoever. How many is ready to remove the limits off of your life? And the labels. And the labels. Amen, somebody. Look what it says here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations. Paul said this to the church at Ephesus. He said, my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, keeping humble before God is the key to everything in your life. When you start getting too big for your britches, come on, somebody. You can probably get right back on your knees and say, Lord, it's not me, it's thee. I mean, use me, but Lord, I can't use myself. You have to use me. Then it says, from whom the whole family where? In heaven and where? And earth is named. So I'm trying to get us to understand something here. Is that when I became born again, when you got born again, we're, we're really spiritual beings anyways. But now our spirit got born again because the flesh can't be born again for the second time. But the spirit got regenerated or born again. And so now then, I am not just a natural man having a natural experience. I'm a natural man and a spiritual man having a natural and a spiritual experience. I got a family on earth, not just my biological family, but my family, of the family of God, the church. And I've got a spiritual family in heaven. I'm not just natural. My life isn't just my natural life. I'm connected in the spirit with other people. That he, God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened. Everybody say strengthened. With might, through his spirit, where? In the inner man. So you see the outer man, and then there's an inner man on the inside of me. I see your outer man or woman, and there's an inner man or woman inside of you, right? But the Bible says I'm strengthened by his spirit on the inner man, and that strength comes from God, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So by faith, by receiving Jesus Christ, by faith, I receive him in my heart. Christ dwells inside me, right? And then the Bible goes on to say, I now am linked with a family in heaven. I now get strengthened in my inner spirit, my inner man, and I become full. I have the fullness of God. Then it says, now this is the scripture we know, Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works where? In us, the direct connection is what's inside of us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and forever. Amen. So God says, I'm going to give you an abundant supply, but I, I contact, the way I, the way I do that is got to contact your spirit. I've got to strengthen your spirit so that you understand that when you go through a battle, you're going through natural things. I'm tired. I'm sick. 
Um, I got this disease. Um, I got this financial dilemma. I lost my job. Uh, these people hate me. All that may be factually true, come on, in your world, but it's not the truth of the truth. The truth of the truth is what God's word says about the matter, and his spirit overrides the natural. But I'm walking in the natural, come on, every day of my life, but I do it by faith. Come on, somebody. And when I do it by faith in what God has said overrides the natural things that I'm going through. So a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare that you're going through, you can't blame your boss. I know you'd like to. Can't blame your spouse. I know you really like to do that. You can't blame your kids. You can't blame the preacher. You can't blame uh, the, 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 the whatever. You cannot. You say, that's why? Because that, that, that's the source of the problem. No, that's not the source of the problem. The source is the enemy, and the enemy can use anybody. So who are you? I'll tell you who you are. You're the head and not the tail. You're above only and not beneath. Come on, somebody. You're the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. You're the apple of his eye. You're a royal people. You're a holy priesthood. You are the rightful heir to the throne of God. You're joint heirs with Christ Jesus. You are a child of the king. Come on. Don't you ever bow your head low. The only one you bow your head to is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now keep your head up. Walk in life with your chest poked out. Not in arrogance, but in confidence. I got a daddy in heaven that will back. Come on! Oh, I feel I'm preaching now. And if this God's got your back, come on. Nothing is impossible. Hallelujah. That's knowing who you are. We'll get into that some more in the weeks to come. But let me just tell you, number two, because I don't want to leave this. It would be pointless without number two. The second real strength that you must possess to overcome in spiritual warfare is you have to know who your God is. It's no good to know who you are. You can't know who you are truly until you know who he is. Look at Exodus chapter 3 verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The Lord of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial, my memorial, my memorial or memory to all generations. Everybody say this. He is, I am. He is, I am. Say it again. He is, I am. As he is, I am, and he is the I am that is his name. So whatever I am, come on, is only because of who he is. And whatever I need, he am. That's terrible language, English, but I don't have much of an education. Hallelujah. Are you hearing me? He is what I need him to be when I need it. Well, I'm going to preach this too soon, y'all. Because someone's pulling and somebody's pulling this out of me today. If I need deliverance, he says, I am your deliverer. If I need finances, I am your prosperity. If I need a healing, I am your healer. If you need protection, I am your protector. I am. I am. I am. And then we fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus announces who he is in this same manner. Eleven times in the New Testament, he said, I am, I am, I am. Let me walk you through some of them this morning, all of them actually. I'm going to go fast, but you can just hang with me. If you can't keep up, get, go ahead and listen to the podcast. Number one is found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. He said to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Touch your neighbor and say, his name is Jesus. Touch your other name and say, his name is Jesus. 
Listen, church, when you use the name of Jesus, it's the announcement to the world and the spirit realm of who I am based on who he is. And because he is the I am, I am who he is. In other words, whenever I go, he's with me. By faith, Christ dwells in me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. So wherever I show up, he shows up. Come on. I am an ambassador for Christ. If I go to pick and say, he's there. Come on, somebody. If I go to the gas station, he's there. Come on, y'all. Don't stop now. Come on. If I go to the house of God, he shows up. If, he, if you don't show up, he don't show up. He don't hang out in the building. He hangs out in the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is you. Come on, somebody. I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I stand in his authority. Not on my authority. I don't have enough authority. But wherever he sends me, quit complaining about your job. He sent you there. Y'all didn't hear me. Quit complaining about your work. He sent you there for what? To bring change in his name. Amen, somebody. Don't go to Milwaukee. They said, oh, Milwaukee, they eat you up and spit you out. Ain't no good churches in Milwaukee. First of all, that wasn't even true. But that's what they told me. Don't go to Milwaukee, man. It's like an uh, evangelistic graveyard over there. I, thought, well, I didn't even heard that. That's like a spo that's spooky, man. What you talking about? Who even talks like that? I said, I, I got to go. Why? God told me to. What choice do I and if I show up and it's a valley of dry bones and he says, can these bones live? I'll say, Lord, you know. And he'll say, prophesy. Prophesy. Woo. Hey. Hey. I feel like prophesying right now. Glory to God. Using the name of Jesus gains me access into what I had no clearance to otherwise. I couldn't get in that place, but because he sent me in his name, in the name of Jesus, I am healed. In the name of Jesus, I am free. In the name of Jesus, I am protected. In the name of Jesus, I am delivered. His name is higher than any court system. His name is higher than any banking institution. His name is greater than any world religion. His name is higher than any so-called God. His name is higher than any sickness and disease, and at his name every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Hey! That name! There's something about that name! You want an experiment? I'll give you an experiment. You want to see how powerful it is? When you go back to work, whether tomorrow or Tuesday, and at lunchtime, just bring up the name of Jesus and see what happens in that lunchroom. The moment you say the name of Jesus, He's the one that brings a sword. He cuts right down the middle. You can't ignore him any longer. Why? Because there's power, 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 wonder-working power in that name. So they're either going to flee you or tune into you. But they got to do something. Ain't never seen a devil cast out in the name of Buddha. I said something right there. Y'all didn't shout. Ain't never seen one devil cast out in the name of Confucius. Ain't never seen a devil cast out in the name of Muhammad. But I have seen hundreds, if not thousands, cast out in the name of Jesus. I've seen when a man stood in a pulpit like this, and there were thousands of people, and all he said was, Jesus! 
this. And they begin to shake and quake. And the power of God came on. And all of them pitted. And devils came out of them. He said, you, tell, you say I come to bring peace. I tell you I come to bring a sword. That's what the Father sent me to do. There'll always be a dividing line with me. And you better thank God for it too. You become the beneficiary of it. You are joint heirs with Christ. Was Jesus sick? Was Jesus in depression? Was Jesus filled with anxiety? Was Jesus offended? Did he live in unforgiveness? Was he lustful? Was he greedy, hateful, arrogant, prideful, disobedient? No. Then we don't have to be either. All those things we can deal with in the name of Jesus. Number two is found in John chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am, I am, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Bread is always symbolic of revelation. Because it's the mixing of things that come together, the culmination of things that come together that manifest the bread. You don't eat the flour by itself. You don't eat the yeast by itself. You, you might drink the water, but it certainly won't feed you. And maybe the salt, but it won't do much for you. But when you combine all those elements together, it's the combination of those things that produces the bread. And it's the manifestation of that that becomes the revelation. So what is it? There's a revelation in that flour. There's a revelation in that salt. There's a revelation in in that yeast. There's a revelation in those items to bring forth something that couldn't be seen otherwise. But when they all come together, come on somebody. And by the way, what produces the bread that makes it rise is when it's put in the oven. So if your life has gotten a little heated up lately, there's a revelation about to emerge in your life to bring you to a whole nother level. Well, this, Jesus said, it's not good that, the, 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 that these would eat the bread. She said, yes, but Lord, even the little dogs get to be fed from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In other words, in other words just one crumb is all you need from the whole. It's a piece of the revelation. My revelation might not be yours, but you need it. And revelation is what? It's light. It's something you couldn't see before. I am the bread of life. Number three, it's found in John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So it works really well with bread. So no, in other words, no matter how dark it gets in your world, how dark it gets in your life to where you can't see, you're so confused, you don't know what to do next. He is the light. I am the light. When you ask Jesus to come into your world, Lord, help me to see what I couldn't see. He begins to open your understanding and enlighten your eyes. Number four is found in John chapter, thank you, is found in John chapter 10 verse 9. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I spoke a whole series. You get my series on the podcast about the door. But the door speaks of entering into a new reality. You're in this place. Open the door. You walk through the threshold. You're in another place. It speaks of entering a new atmosphere, a new dimension, a new opportunity that's given you. Jesus becomes that. If any man be in Christ, he is a new, come on, say new. He's a new creation. God will create a new opportunity, a new atmosphere if you live in. Your home needs the right atmosphere. Your home, your house, your apartment needs the right atmosphere. It needs Jesus. Come on. Number five is found in John chapter 10, verse 11. I, Jesus, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The shepherd takes care of all of our provisional needs. It provides shelter and protection. That's why the Bible says in, in the book of, of Psalms, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, which means I have no lack, no want. He takes care of what I need. If I'll simply follow his voice 
If I hear him sing, if I hear him speak, if I hear his word, I follow him. He takes care of all my want. Number six is found in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. In other words, this is going to bless you. Whatever has died prematurely in your life shall live again. Don't you let go. No matter what it looks, that's why we need revival in Milwaukee. That's why we need revival in America and around the world because we've seen a lot of Christians that have died away from the vine, but they're still God's people and they need to be resuscitated. Your dreams, your ideas, your desires need to be resuscitated, brought back to life again. You can pump them back into life, breathe into the breath of life, and they'll come back again. That's what he's talking about. I am the resurrection. Number seven is found in John chapter 14. Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the compilation. Jesus is the completion of the way to God, the truth of God, and the life of God. Number eight is found in John 15, 5. I am, Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. A fruitless life is a frustrated life. And if you've been frustrated because you're not producing fruit, but Jesus promised us fruit, not just some fruit, but he said much fruit, much fruit. In other words, if we will just stick with him, if we'll abide in him, not allow ourselves to be ripped away from the vine. The vine is the life source of everything that we need. As long as we stay close to him, the temptation of the enemy that comes to battle against you and me is to bring us out of that place of worship, out of praise, out of prayer, out of the word, out of giving our tithes and offering, out of our giving our, of our talents, out of coming to the house of God, out of fellowship one with another. If you find it more comfortable to hang out with sinners than it is saints, there's something out of order in your life. You say, well, they don't judge me. Yes, they do. People do it all the time. The devil's got you deceived because he makes you think you're more comfortable because they won't judge you. But the truth of the matter is, God's people won't either. And if they do, shame on them. Find somebody else to be your friend. That's called life. We don't give up stuff that's right just because we don't always get it our way. But when I fellowship with the believer, man, what do they do? They're always pushing me, wanting me to go further in God. They, they, I feel sometimes that, that maybe I don't have that energy. And I walk in this place, and I feel as you guys begin to praise and worship God, and I can sense how bad you want it. It's like I feel like Moses. I'm not Moses, y'all, but I'm just saying. I feel like Moses, when Ben and her would, would hope, was it Ben and her? Yeah, they would they'd hold their arms up, hold his arms up. As long as his hands were lifted up, they would win the battle. If his hands went down, they would lose the battle. But he couldn't hold them up by himself anymore. So he needed somebody to hold their arms up. Man, I thank God for the body of Christ that will come alongside of me and hold my arms up. I want to hold yours up too. That's why we need each other. That's why the devil fights you for coming here. Number 9, 10, 11. I'll put it all together in a little package here for you. It's found in Revelation 1, verse 11, 17, and 18. I'll take the first part of verse 11. It says, I, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Verse 17, and when I saw him, Jesus, I, this is what they said about Jesus, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. I've got all the authority Come on, church. What's he saying? In other words, Jesus says, Jesus gets the last say in the matter. I'm the first and I'm the last. I don't care what the world's told you. I don't care what the, the other people told you. I don't care what the devil's trying to whisper in your ear. I'm the final say in the matter. Can you simply believe me? Why? I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Come on, somebody. In other words, what he began, he will finish. He who began a good work in me shall be faithful to complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. That's what I was praying over there before we started the service or before I started to preach. And, and I was just worshiping God and, and saying, thank you, Lord. Because the truth is, if you didn't want to do it, you'd have never started it. 
but the fact that you started this in me is the proof you will finish it. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. Everybody say, I am. Say, I am. Okay, let me just make this statement. Confession is a statement of truth based on the Word of God. Confession. I'm talking about the word homologio in the Greek means confession. Homologio, confession means to speak as one or to speak what has already been spoken. So when we speak the Word of God, it's called confession. Some of y'all are Catholic. I was baptized Catholic as a little boy. And so you're thinking confession is going to the box and confessing your, your, your sin before the, the Father that's there and it gives you the, the beads and the whole thing. Mike, you've probably been there lots, right? Yeah, I, I knew you. He's a sinner from way back, praise God. <laughs> Mike has spent, he, they said, oh, here comes Mike. Oh, my God. Close the door. No, just But Mike knows what I'm talking about. You were Catholic. So, and so the truth of the matter is, is that, is that what I'm talking about is far greater. Confession is to speak what God has already spoken. So when I pray or when I speak, I'm declaring God's word that he's already declared. He just needed somebody to come into the power of agreement with him to bring it to pass. When he made man and created creation, he said, let us make man in our image. He's speaking to the Son and the Holy Spirit. The three came together. Come on, somebody. He's also speaking to the earth because the earth has to yield forth what he was creating. So let us, let us make. He's speaking to it as if it's alive because it is. This is heavy for Sunday morning, y'all. So here we go. Are y'all ready? This is next level stuff here. Confession brings possession. Confession brings possession. Whatever you say will come to pass. That's why you got to watch what you say because you might get just what you want. And what you want may not be what you thought. Let me back this up. Real quick, real quick, we're done. Proverbs 18, 20. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Romans 4, 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls, this is God now, who calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And you and I are, the Bible says, we're to emulate our father. We're to emulate him. So in other words, what he does, we're supposed to do. We're made in his image and his likeness. We look like him, and we're to function like him. That's what it means. Now, we're not him, but he lives inside of us. So we work together, together in life. And so now when I speak, things come to pass. So I can call those things that be not as though they were. Why do we have so many death talkers in the church today? Always talking the negative, always talking the, the, the death of what's going to happen. Well, you know, I guess that's true. I do have that little lump on me. I guess my dad had that lump, and he died. My grandfather had the same lump, and he died. I guess I'm next in line. You, you know what? You believe that stuff? You speak that stuff? That's exactly what you're going to get. Now, I'm the first person to say, go to the doctor, get your diagnosis, do what they tell you to do. But on your way to the doctor, on your way of taking care of that, you begin to pray and speak and declare. Jesus I am, you're saying, I am your healer, right? Okay, Jesus, your word says, here we go, that you would carry my sickness. Come on, somebody. And you would carry my disease. And by your stripes, I am healed. Now, what am I doing? I'm speaking the word of God directly into the matter, what's going on in my spirit. I'm calling those things that be not as though they were. Just like my father, when darkness was on the face of the deep and there was no light, and he said, I'm going to change that today. He didn't get nervous about it. He didn't get upset about it. He just said, light be, and light was, and light has never stopped. Come on, somebody, since it began. So my point is, that's what we're to do. We're to speak like our Father. Then Romans 10, 8 says this, but what does it say? The word is near you. Where? In your mouth and in your heart. How did you get born again? The Bible says you believed it with your heart unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession was made unto salvation. So whatever you believe, the Bible, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth would speak. 
So if I want to change my life, I got to get his word in my heart. And whatever's in my heart comes out my mouth. And I ain't going to wait till disaster happens. I want to get that in my spirit right now. You know, a pilot doesn't go to school once and that's it. He gets his pilot license. No, he goes to school every single year. Did you know that? He's got to pass his exams every year because there's new functions, there's new pieces of equipment. He's got to touch bases with, the, with all the, the fundamentals, understand the principles. He goes, and you better thank God for that because he's flying you somewhere. Someone say amen to that. He's got to understand everything about that airplane. He gets tested in that. In other words, he don't wait for disaster to get the manual out. Oh, God, we're going down a page. What was that page again? 8A? And Where is it? Where's the manual? <laughs> we can't even find the manual. He gets that in here. So it's reactionary. It happens that quick. Doctors the same way. They're going to keep learning, keep growing. Why? Medicine changes. Situations changes. Things change. they got to get better and better and better and better. Yes, they're able to get their education for their foundation, but then they keep learning. They never stop learning. Again, you better thank God for that. Amen, somebody. We don't wait to the last second. We get to our spirit now. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the, the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Church, confession is powerful and it establishes a new blueprint for our life, no doubt about it. But now then, there's something else that is in the same strain but even more decisive and powerful and that is prophecy. It's a different element. The power of prophecy is greater than the application of confession. You need both. Confession is a statement of truth based on the word of God. But prophecy is a declaration of destiny. It's a statement of projection that defines your destiny. In other words, I get the word of God and I speak his word, but now then to prophesy, I personalize it. And I say his word says this, so in the name of Jesus, this, that, and the other must come to pass. I don't just speak his word. I add to his word the prophetic picture that I have of where I'm going. For instance, um, our building here, and we didn't have a building. We were a church, a young church, and we were in a, in a school building. And what we did was we had a confession we put up on the screen. And every single week, we literally designed this building. Now, we didn't know about this building. But in the spirit, we were putting a design. We were making a blueprint out of what God's word said. So we confessed God's word. The word like, um, uh, you know, we'll, uh, according to your scriptures, Lord, Deuteronomy says that we'll, we'll own wells that we didn't dig. We'll have houses that we didn't build. It'll be furnished with, with, with furnishings that we did not, we did not build. A vineyards we never planted. We'll eat from the vineyard that we never planted. So in other words, we're, we're starting to speak it. And then what we do, we prophesy. So Lord, we thank you for our building. So confession moved to the prophetic. We thank you, Lord God, for plenty of parking because Milwaukee's hard to find parking. We thank you, Lord, that has space to grow, that we're able to grow for the years to come. We thank and we, we got specific in the prophecy mixed with the word of God. So we're believing God for that. And then God sends, again, this must be Glenn Miller Day, but Glenn was here 2001, February 2001 at the other school building. And we didn't have this building, didn't even know this, didn't even know anything about this place. And he prophesies this incredible word. He says, the Lord will give you a sign that this word has come to pass. And the sign is this. By the end of this year, you will be in your own habitation. You will have your own building. You will have your own worship center, says the Lord. Watch this. By the third weekend, December, the third weekend of December, we moved into the building of that same year. Only God. We took that prophetic word. My thing is this, because I'm, I'm out of time. My thing is this. Who's prophesying around here, man? Why are we just putting up with the stuff? We got way too many people talking about the mountain. Everybody wants to get on social media and talk about how bad this is, how bad that is. Talk to their people, talk to their friends. How Where are the people talking to the mountain? Because we've been commanded to tell the mountain to get up out of our way. I don't care how big it looks, we have authority in the name of Jesus to command it to go. But the devil comes along and tells you, impossible, not going to happen. You're wasting your time. God don't like you anyways. You know, you're hardly a Christian. I know how he talks. You call yourself a Christian, look how you were in traffic. Come on, someone say amen. And nothing to do with me. It's not to be you. No one even believes me anymore, praise God. 
So my point is, my point is, guys, is that are we prophesying our destiny? Are we prophesying? Prophecy positions your future. Abraham was supposed to take his only child, the promise, into Mount Moriah. Remember that? And he had to sacrifice his son. He knew what God said. And yet he turns to the servants and says, I and the lad go yonder to worship God, but we shall return. I know what God's telling me to do, but it ain't lining up with what he's already told me to do. I don't know how God's going to do this, but something he got to do. He's the fixer, not me. But I'm prophesying my future. We're walking back. We're coming back. And how many knows God provided a ram for him to sacrifice? That's why we confess the word, because confession brings possession of the revelation. The revelation is the prophetic insight that must be declared to change the direction of your future. But I found out most people, the reason most people don't want to get out of the mess is because they benefit from it. And I don't like that. I don't like that at all. You can't keep complaining about how bad your life is when you really don't want to change. And people really don't want to change because they're addicted to pity. I should just keep on going from there. I mean, I should just move on past it, praise God. I felt the dag. Yeah. People are. They're addicted to it. They need that pat on the back, man. They need somebody to tell them how bad, you know, they need somebody they can cry on their shoulder on and tell them how bad their life is, and they're just addicted to drama, addicted to pity. And I feel bad for you because that's not God's best for you. It might be fun when you're 25 or 26, but when you're 46 and you ain't got a life anymore and you're on the other side of the hill, it ain't fun anymore. Can somebody say amen to me for me? Close with this right here. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, this is not talking about cussing, like saying people say his name in vain. We say it that way. That's not really what this is talking about, but let me just say this, please. If you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ and then take that name, the name that's holy, the name that's above everything, the one who took, gave his life for yours, and you just say, Jesus Christ, and you curse I fear for your soul. You stop that behavior now. You repent from it, and you make up your mind. I'll never say that again. I'll never, ever. And I'm not one to say cuss, but find another one. But don't use that name. Okay. When I was a kid, and I wasn't serving God, but my parents did. They were the real deal. So I knew God. You know, kids will base their belief system on what you believe. They will. If they walk away for a while, they're coming back. They ain't no choice. They know he's real. And um, I went over to, my friend and I went to a house. I wasn't familiar with the guy, but he went to the same church. We went to a large, a large church in Rockford. And uh, I knew the parents. They, went, they were there every Sunday. And a cat jumped up on her and, and grabbed on her back. Now, that's painful. No doubt about it. And she screamed, Jesus Christ. I mean, she just took, and I was, I was like, I got to get out of here. I thought like a lightning bolt was going to strike her dead. I was like, I'm, I'm out. I mean, it made me nervous. I, I couldn't believe that someone I'd seen all this time in the house of God, worshiping God, would just take his name like that in vain so flippantly. So I don't judge your walk with God, but I'm going to tell you something. Hey, that's not what God wants for you. But this is a little bit different. He said, if you use my name, it's a memorial to you for all generations. And he says, if you use my name incorrectly, that's what the word in vain means, incorrectly, you receive the consequences of what you have said. Here's the principle. The moment the world, the moment the cosmos, the universe, the spirit realm, everything, here's the name of God. Whatever follows that name starts looking for you. So when you speak his name in direction of the prophecy, the word of God, it will find his name and it comes back to you. I got to stop here. That's why the Bible says, let the weak say, 
Let the weak say the opposite. I am strong. Let the poor say. So when I hear you say, man, I'm just poor. I hope you like being poor. You're going to be poor a whole lot longer in your life. But I don't want to lie. You're not lying. You're calling those things that be not as though they were, and that's called faith. So the poor says, I'm right. But here's the deal. We say it, but watch this. Let the weak say, what? What does it say? I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because in him, come on somebody, he's already strong. He's already rich. He's already provided. He's already got everything you need. Come on, somebody. Now, along with saying what's I am in your life, you need to start saying what you am not. I am the head. I am not the tail. I am above only. I am not beneath. Why? Because God's not the tail and God's not beneath. So Abraham walks around for 17 years and he tells everybody a lie. Or... Maybe not, because he's listed in Hebrews chapter 11 and in Galatians as the father of faith. But God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which is Abraham in Hebrew. Come on, someone say amen. And Abraham means what? A father of a nation or a father of a multitude. How many kids did he have? Zero. So he walks around Hey, who are you? My name is Abraham, which means a father of multitude, father of nation. Oh, my God. Well, how many kids do you have? Uh, I ain't got any. Was he a liar? Or was he speaking the will of God for his life? And everything one day was going to change in his direction. No matter what it looked like, it was going to change in his direction. God had him speaking. God had him confessing. God had him prophesying. Everywhere he went. This is good stuff, y'all. Who's going to start prophesying your future from now on? I just gave you, this, I gave you the principle. I taught you how to do it. Now you just got to put it to work. I'm expecting some miracles to show up in your world. Amen. Amen. John, enjoy the word.